Thanks for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. Hope you're reaching new heights in Jesus today. God bless you. Check out the messages and announcements at the end of the recording, please. church or they're uh, out in their ponchos in the rain. I hope they have a tarp and I don't know what it's actually like, but uh, she said they've been getting wet. Wet camping isn't the funnest kind of camping, although it doesn't have to dampen your spirits, no pun intended, if you're focused uh, on having a little fun together with your family and that kind of thing. So they're down there. And then uh, pray for Jason Wellington today. He was supposed to be here and today was supposed to be his first day playing the guitar up front on the stage for worship, and he's been sick uh, all week with cold symptoms and stuff, and Friday got a COVID test and hasn't gotten the results yet. So obviously he's praying it's not COVID, and he's praying that he'll be good, uh, and he'll be back in the fold. So he's joining us online right now, uh, and others, there's a few others as well. Miss Chris is there, helping, and she always helps kind of moderate the uh, discussion online and so on. And then we've been having uh, just an ongoing, consistent growth of the podcast. So 
podcast garden was down the first part of this week, and I couldn't upload any new ones, but I got the I got last week's sermon up this morning, so folks are probably listening to that. And then today's message or today's lesson, the whole thing from beginning to end. Remember, we're on there right now, so you're talking right now. It's not live, but we're on the podcast, so keep your follow language to yourself. I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't do that here, but the point is, uh, we're being broadcast on Facebook, and also this is what comes to podcast right now. And so, praise God. Outreach Adventure is ongoing. If you didn't know, we have a block party a week from yesterday on the lot across from the light station and already beginning to hear some positive things about that. We've had some folks out prayer walking and outreaching in the community. That's been good. Um, had some good connections. Uh, Miss June and Brother Tony had a great uh, conversation with a man here at Regular Church Building. Uh, this was it yesterday. Miss June, oh, yesterday was it? Thursday, okay. And so that's going on. And then I've got a couple of dates on there. And Brother Tony Case got times on there. We can get out and get together and go do outreach and looking for people. The freezer pop giveaways are still on the schedule. When we get to the end of the service today, that schedule will be up on there. We'll leave it up on there. The dates for all the other little things are not. The block party times and dates are in your bulletin on the back page. Okay? But all the other stuff is adjusting fairly rapidly. Uh, changing and adding and things like that. <clears throat> and so, uh, Miss Chris will send out another text uh, either later today or tomorrow with the dates for this week, and we'll just kind of do that. And so if you're not getting her text, let her know so she can make sure you get that list so you can plug in. And some of the stuff, people are not really able to say exactly when they're doing it until it gets close, so if you want to be available for that, like Brother Tony and Miss June prayer walking, if you want to go with them or go at the same time they go, then we're going to have to kind of be available because they don't know for sure when they can go and like that. But you can always go. And if you let us know, somebody might go with you. Okay? But you got to get the, you got to pull it together because not everybody has the same schedule. Okay? All right. Um, we will be baptizing, hopefully, if there are folks who need to be baptized at the block party uh, this coming Saturday and then also two weeks later here at the church building. We have that big stock tank thing. It's like eight foot by two foot by three foot. And... Uh, it's in, now stored in the garage over there by the light station. We'll have it here and we'll baptize some folks if they need to be baptized after a brief time of counseling. Okay? And so uh, it's been good. It's already been good. We're, we're probably upwards of 10 first time visits for Christ this month. Obviously, we need to hopefully get those people plugged into church, either here or wherever, and get it growing. But um, it's been good. Okay? Team leader meeting today. Brief. Brief break after service. We're going to be missing a couple of key people, of several in fact, but at the same time, we have a couple of topics that we really need to address. Two things that are very time sensitive, and so we could, um, and I have Brother Tony, I talked those things through with him last night, so I have his input on those things, and then we'll make those decisions like that. And remember, everybody's always welcome at the team leader meeting. You're always welcome to have the notes before the team leader meeting and after the team leader meeting. If you want those, even if you don't want to come to the meeting, you're welcome to have those and give your input, okay? And then we'll meet in two weeks for our membership meeting, is our plan, okay? So let's pray together, and then uh, uh, as I finish my prayer, I'm gonna leave it open, and then Brother Tate is gonna come in uh, with the um, praying for the families from the neighborhood, okay? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you. Uh, I laughed a couple of times this morning thinking about how uh, when I come out of the house that the rain just picked up so hard and it just, uh, it drenched me. If it wasn't for my raincoat, I'd have been soaked. And I was thinking about I got baptized on the way to church. And Lord, I, I know we need to be baptized in your Holy Spirit, filled 
new and fresh with you every day. It's not a once thing, it's an always ongoing thing. We praise you that you are willing to do that and that Jesus is making intercession for us, standing at the right hand of your throne even now, protecting us from our own foolishness, bringing us through, completing in us that good work that you have begun. And I pray, Lord, that we would remember that, that we would repent of sins, that we would step up and do what's right, that we would be your people uh, and the way we're supposed to be. We're sorry that we haven't been when we haven't been, and we're thankful for your forgiveness available through Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to bless those who are traveling and bless the, the shops as they're uh, in Hocking Hills getting drenched. And uh, Lord, be with Brother Tony this morning as he's traveling to Buffalo, New York. It's, it's, it's a trek, and it's in the rain, and driving in the rain also is not the funnest time to be driving. And so we just ask you, Lord, to watch over him. Watch over his family, especially this June, uh, as they're apart, comfort their hearts. Lord, and then for us, and we pray for Jason Wellington, Lord, uh, that the results of his COVID test come back negative, uh, that his illness goes away, that he's strong, uh, that he's healthy and able to serve you. We pray for Tuesday night Bible study, the great discussions that have been going on there. We pray for uh, the ministry that Michael is doing with the football camp, basically, that they're having weights and practices and building up to the season, and Lord, we pray that um, it would be honoring to you. We're thankful that they've given us permission to come this Friday evening and to minister to those families and give away um, treats and drinks and whatever, and we pray that that will be honoring to you. We pray for those who are working hard. Lord, we pray repentance and, and grace for those who are hardly working. And we ask the Lord to be our God be in charge of your church, and call, call this out in Jesus' name. Is there any other prayer requests? I didn't know if they said anything. Any prayer requests at all for this? I have one, I have one, I'll just pray right there, but Wednesday's the core date that's going to help out. Just ask God for wisdom and direction to just get all the right things out and try to know what to say and, and uh, know what I'm going to see with that. Um, but uh, this is Bustle. Um, always, I don't know if you guys are on the website, but it's really cool. I think it's really encouraging. Just the types of verses, I feel like uh, God's telling us to live like that that day. It's like, it's really, really encouraging. It's a devotional kind of thing. But uh, this is going out to uh, Lois Strain from uh, 578 Dearborn Avenue, David Lewis from 580 Dearborn Avenue, um, Roy Glass from 612 Dearborn Avenue, and Robin Stevenson, 612 Dearborn Avenue. And the suggested prayer is, Jesus, may my neighbors continually turn to you and call upon your name. May they walk in the fullness of your direction in every circumstance as you deliver them from harm and cause them to be a blessing to others. Psalm 121, call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for them, for his people, for this church, and the uh, Lord, you know, that word that was, it repented the word now, it used to be returned and still is returned. Keep turning to you. And uh, God, I pray for all those that, that would that not turn to you first, to turn to you. And keep turning to you. Know who you truly are, God. That you're the great provider. You provided a lamb. You provided wisdom. You provided yourself. God, you provided um, eternity. God, you, you provided peace. You're the true provider. Um, all these other sources is from your provision, but you are the great source and sustenance in our daily lives, in our eternal being. And uh, Lord, I just pray that 
they would call on your distress, but know that they could call on you always. That you truly are the greatest parent, the greatest father, the greatest husband. Um, you're, the, you're the greatest counselor. You've never given bad advice. That one time, that one moment, if we would just listen to you more, we would suffer more righteously than suffer to, uh, to be disciplined. But we thank you no matter what, God. You're the true author of our faith and our salvation. So we just lift these people up to you. And uh, any prayer requests that were on our hearts that wasn't said, uh, people on Facebook, online, they have prayer requests that no one knows, but the Lord already knows. God, we thank you that, Lord, it's always been your will to be merciful and true. And uh, we also pray, God, that they would seek your will in those endeavors. We thank you for it. In your great holy name, Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
face this fight See the minutes and the hours I don't wanna feel like I'm just wasting time Yeah, I'm so sick and tired, being sick and tired I'm so sick and tired, being sick and tired So I'ma take a match on the light of pie Yeah, I'ma take my life, turn my life around And it's just waiting It's like it's a struggle just to start another day Worry about my problems and what people gonna say Right order, that is it. 
can't tell you a number, the number of times that I've been talking to folks that were either in a very dark place or a spot or whatever, or uh, they were up against a big trial or they questioned you know what to do, whatever, and, and that phrase comes up, the Spirit pushes that phrase, the serpent's God first. That God is the key. When you go off path, when you are off the highway of holiness, when things are not right, God is the key. He is the one who put us on the path in the first place, and he is the only one who can put us back on the path. And this is what I see people doing a lot. They try to make a course correction, right? So I, I know some people like it, some people don't. I, I like to play golf, okay? And so when I play golf, typically I don't hit the fairway, which is that part where you're supposed to be, because I'll hit to the right or to the left. And the ball will get off the course to the right or to the left, and then I'm still looking at the green. And I'll get over there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit it now, I'm going to hit it in the green. And I'm picking a path between the trees and everything like that. But great golf players, that's not how they do it. What they do is they get back on the fairway and they hit from there because they know they can get a lot of extra yards if they hit off the fairway. And I get lucky a lot of times and I'll pick a spot and I'll get to the trees and whatever. But then there's other times where I'll hit a tree and I'm back out and wind up behind where I started. So I'll, go, I'll start here, go down, hit the tree, go down there. One time my mom and I were out, my mom and dad and I were out golfing up at Maple Grove. And she hit a ball, they hit a tree, came back and hit a tree. And so we all, she hit the first tree, we like, oh, and they came back and hit a tree, and then it was going the right way, and we went, oh, and then hit another tree, and it came back and went the wrong way, and we went, oh. <laughs> it was like, because she was in the woods, you know, so it was like, <laughs> it came back, and it wound up back behind where she had originally hit from. And that's what it's like a lot of times when we try to make the course correction. But if you will let God take you from where you are in the midst of your trial or your difficulty and plant you firmly, your feet, back on the highway of holiness, doing what it is that you're supposed to do, God can do that. That is exactly what he desires to do. It's what he yearns to do with all every fiber of his being for every lost person, and then again for every saved person who has strayed or gone away. And that, that song touched my heart, and I'm grateful for that reminder. So, uh, does somebody else have one? Because if not, I have one. I to set down Something else inspired me this week? Scripture, what do you read? Just coming off of that, um, I'll come back to my my favorite verse. I know I come back to it a lot, but uh, Proverbs 15 31. He who listens to a life giving rebuke is at home among the wise. I'm the type of person that loves clear direction. Sometimes my bosses find me annoying because I always seek clear direction. Um, when I pray for something or pray for God's will to be done in a certain area um, and I don't hear an answer, it's more frustrating than if I was to hear no. You know what I mean? Because I like to have that clear direction, whether it's yes or no, at least I know that's what I'm supposed to do at. As opposed to just being kind of stuck out there, like trying to see the path, you know what I mean? And uh, that's why, even though I may get an answer of no, I still cherish that because, like Proverbs say, you know, you listen to a rebuke that's meant to give you life, it's meant to build you up and be better for you be a better course correction, like you said, then we'll be at home among the wise. Sounds good. Okay, so there's this this story I read that really touched my heart, especially in light of what was going on lately. But it says, in the year 1829, a long time ago, a Philadelphia man named George Wilson 
robbed the U.S. mail office. Killing or mails. I don't know if he got in the office or in transit. Anyway, he killed someone in the process. Wilson was arrested, brought to trial, found guilty, sentenced to be hanged. Some friends intervened on his behalf and were finally able to obtain a pardon for him from President Andrew Jackson. But when he was informed of this, George Wilson refused to accept the pardon. The sheriff was unwilling to enact the sentence. For now, I'm sorry, for how could he hang a pardoned man? An appeal was sent to President Jackson. The perplexed president turned to the United States Supreme Court to decide the case. Chief Justice Marshall ruled that a pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends on its acceptance by a person implicated. It is hardly to be supposed that a person under the sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon. But if it is refused, it is then not a pardon at all. George Wilson must be hanged. So George Wilson was executed, although his pardon lay on the sheriff's desk the entire time. So too do some of us reject the gift of salvation by refusing the pardon thereby offered. Even our law, even our legal system, even people understand that if there is a pardon offered, if forgiveness is offered, if you refuse to accept that pardon, that forgiveness, you have no pardon, no forgiveness. The pardon, the forgiveness becomes null and void for the person who refuses to accept it. And I thought that was, I got, that's what I got meditating on, thinking about it's powerful because how often I share the gospel and I'm trying to explain to people how it is that the salvation that Jesus provides, the payment that he made, only applies for those who are willing to accept it, who are willing to receive it. And if you're unwilling to receive the pardon, then it's no pardon at all. It's not that it's still a pardon, but they just don't know it. Right? So that, like the Universalist Church, they believe that everybody's going to heaven because everybody's pardoned. It doesn't matter whether you're accepted or not. You can go follow some completely other path, but everybody is going to get that pardon eventually. But actually, we understand, man understands, the law understands, the Bible understands, and God clearly understands that if you will not accept the pardon, then you have no pardon at all. And that, that was profound to me, and I was thinking about it all long, pretty much, since I read that. Okay? Anybody else? All right, well, let's pray together, and then we'll bless our tithes and offerings as well, and then a little more worship. Father Heaven, I do thank you so much for uh, this church, the encouragement that I receive by being part of a body of believers of all ages, male and female, coming from different backgrounds. People wouldn't even know each other if they weren't for your work, and uh, the encouragement that I receive by your Holy Spirit here when I come here. I was thinking this, uh, this last week, early in the week, I had somebody tell me that uh, more often than not, uh, that when they go to church, they encounter God. And they're with other believers, and they seek the face of the Lord, and they pray, and more often than not. And I thought, well, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that's like batting a 501, you know, in baseball or something. Having a pretty good batting average. It's like uh, old Gretzky, when he retired, having scored more goals than anybody ever in hockey, and being like, being able to say that, like, one and a half percent or something like that of all the goals ever scored, he scored. And that's really amazing. That's a great batting percentage. But it's nothing compared to the batting percentage that, that I have, Lord, with you. And I have never yet, ever come and joined together with tonight's fellowship and worship on the Lord's Day and not experience you. I ask you, Lord, to work on me today and work on every person present today. I know we have some folks who couldn't be with us today. We may even have some folks who are in the room or are not completely here today. We pray, Lord, that you just pour your spirit out on us and in us and, if possible, through us. And, Lord, grow us. 
And let nothing be a higher priority than you as we reach new heights in Jesus. We pray your blessings upon the tithes and offerings that are given. We have so many people given in so many different ways these days, the website, and texting, and the offering plate. And Lord, it doesn't matter how it comes. We have different people from different walks of life earning money in different ways. And it doesn't matter how it comes. And we have people, Lord, who give 10% and people who give 20 And it don't matter, Lord, it's what honors you. And we praise you, Lord, that we're able to do that. And we ask you, Lord, to bless each dollar. We know that it's going to allow somebody in darkest Africa to have a Bible. We know it's going to allow somebody here in Toledo who just doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from to be fed. We know it allows us to come here and worship in this place that you gave us and together as a body and hear from your word and to serve. And for those of us who don't know exactly how that's going to go down, we trust in you. We trust in your ways, which are above our ways. And we submit it all to you through Jesus Christ, your Son. And it says, in his name we pray. Amen.
splendor of the King, loved in majesty, and all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice.
when I was a child and I lived in the parents of my house, there was a lot of praise. There was a lot of like compliment. I remember one time I was about eight years old and I had discovered or figured out how to set a digital watch. I know this is kind of dating me a little bit, but a digital watch was a relatively new thing back then and I had figured out how to set a digital watch. And all my, my family was over. We used to do birthdays and stuff like that. We're all together. All my family was over. And my mom, right in front of everybody in the room, said, somebody was having trouble setting their digital watch, and said, Danny knows how to set a digital watch. Give it to Danny. He can set your watch for you. And my heart just swelled. And I was, I was like, I felt like I was as big as Hulk Hogan. I'm like, yeah, I could set a digital watch. And then she handed me the digital watch, and I got a little nervous. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, boy, I hope I can set this kind of digital watch. And I set the digital watch, and I gave it back to them. And I felt like they were just all going to stand and applaud, and they didn't. They just went back to their conversation. But at the same time, I so needed that attaboy, that good boy, or whatever. Now, a lot of the praise that I received was essentially empty praise. I went uh, about uh, six months ago to a meeting in our association, and there were a bunch of pastors there and some uh, lay people from churches in our association, and they were all kind of sitting around and and basically kind of got to be this praise fest, and they would say, well, you know, so-and-so is really good at that, and then that person would say, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm okay at that, but here, this person over here is really good at that, and it kind of like bounced around the room like a tennis ball, and most of them, I think, maybe didn't really have the qualifications to say so-and-so was really good at something, and I thought that kind of made it like cheap and empty praise, you know what I mean? Not really worth anything. If you're just going to say, if I say, for example, if I say, if I would say, you know, Brother Ron is a, a great weightlifter. He can bench 400 pounds. And I never seen anybody can bench 400 pounds before. Brother Ron's sitting there going like, I can't bench 400 pounds. Never have been able to bench 400. What's he talking about? It's just empty praise. It's worthless. The kind of praise that we want from God is that first kind of praise that literally is build you up, feel the power of God swelling up in your soul and his heart. Your heart is enlarging and you just feel like, yes, God is pleased with me. It is not the kind of praise where somebody says, yeah, he's good at that, and you know that's really not true. I want to be a good boy in the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us exactly how to do it. And we're going to come at it from a roundabout way. And so if you'd grab your Bible and turn with me, if you don't, it's okay, I'll read it to you, but I do appreciate it when you do have it, or at least can follow along somehow or other. If you're online, go run right now, get your Bible, and come back. Okay? And take, if you're listening to the podcast, take your phone with you so you won't miss nothing. <laughs> All right, so turn with me then to Proverbs 20, verse 11. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. It is just one verse. It's our key verse for today. Um, but what you're going to see by the time we're done is we have to we have to kind of understand it in the light of Scripture, so it's okay that it's only one verse. All right, Proverbs 20 and verse 11. It says this. It says, It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right, okay? So on the surface, we just take it like very surface level and look at this, go like a kid is thought to be a good kid if he does good things. Boom, done. Let's go on to 12, right? You would be missing pretty much the whole meaning of the verse if you just read over that. And that's what people do a lot in Proverbs. Real quick, a little bit of background. Remember, the book of Proverbs is a little different from all the rest of scripture. This is not a promise of God, okay? A proverb, a proverb is a quick, kind of pithy, which is a word I love and I like to say, but you got to be careful about it. Pithy, P-I-T-H-Y. It means it's short and powerful. That's what pithy means. So you can use it in another context if you need to. But it's pithy sayings that were written primarily by Solomon or maybe observed by Solomon and recorded in this book. 
And they are the way the world works. Now, if you are the wisest man to ever live, given God-empowered wisdom, then when you look at the world, you're going to see some things that people don't necessarily see. Okay? And then you're going to relate them in language, hopefully that people can basically understand. That is the book of Proverbs. Okay? So we have his observations of the way the world add on the universe works. So now take it not as a promise or as a pattern per se, and it says, it is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself. So first of all, look at the word deeds very briefly. Deeds means when you plan to do something and you do it. A deed is something done. But it's not just something done, it's something done intentionally, right? So uh, people stumble, for example, when they're walking in the woods. That is not one of their deeds. They walked in the woods, that was a deed. They obviously chose to do that, they walked in the woods, that was a deed. They stumbled, they didn't go, oh, I think I'll trip over this root, that's not a deed. So not everything you do is a deed based on this, this word that's here in the Hebrew. It's by deeds, it's kind of the things that you plan and carry out. So I think I'll do this, yep, and then you do it. It is by his deeds that a lad, so a lad in common English is a boy, child, a young person, right? For them, that could have been a man up to 30 years old because in, in Jewish society and even mostly in the Middle East today, you're not considered mature in any way, shape, or form. You're not allowed to take a wife, that kind of thing, until you're 30. So a young man could be meant. But it goes more than that. It could be a young servant or a young woman. It is someone who does not have the authority to be in charge. That's who it really is. It's someone who is an underling because of age, um, because they are owned, whatever. So now notice it is by their plans that they carry out, the actions that they take, that a lad, someone who is not in charge, distinguishes himself. And so to distinguish something is for that thing, or for that thing to distinguish itself, is for itself to make itself stand out. Okay? To make it stand out in a positive way that automatically yields rewarding. So a child, for example, who cleans his bedroom without being asked and does it for a week straight, and the parents go, you know, your room's clean. Yeah, I cleaned it yesterday, and the day before, and the day before, and the day before. And the, then maybe that parent's going to go, yeah, that, that's really a good child. And I think maybe I should reward them in some way. Or at, the, at the very least, I should give them a little bit of verbal praise. Right? Uh, you don't get much done with children if you don't praise good deeds. But this lad, this person in this verse, is distinguishing himself, making himself stand out, and the way he's doing it, by his deeds. And then there's an if. If his conduct... Meaning, again, if the deeds that he chooses to do, and literally in the word in the Hebrew, this word is po'alus, which means the doing, the things he's doing. Not the things he's doing per se, but the doing of this person. If the doing of this person is pure and right. Now notice, again, this is why it's important to realize that these are observations of Solomon, because when we say pure, we want to say it means it's done with a good heart. Right? So, for example, if you're uh, fixing something for somebody, but you're waiting for them to praise you, you're waiting for them to pay you, you got a nasty attitude about it, they never should have broke it in the first place, whatever, we would say, that's not pure. Your motives are not pure, right? Your actions and your motives are not pure. But that's not what he means, because you can't actually observe that most of the time about people, okay? So, pure is observed this way. I, I made a, a jug of Kool-Aid. Anybody ever make a gallon jug of Kool-Aid in your house, maybe? If you ever drink that mixed drinks anyway, mix up something, tea, Kool-Aid, something like that. And I, and I, it was sitting in my sink, and I looked, and on the top of it, there was this shiny pattern. You know what that means, Miss June? Probably do. Yeah, it's not mixed well. Yeah, it's not mixed well. There's something in it that's not right. So I mix it up real good, real good, mix it up real good. 
And then there was still a sort of a shiny, looked like a hue on top, and almost kind of like a rainbow flavor to it. But the problem was, the container wasn't clean when I mixed it. It had grease in it. It had been in greasy dishwater. I had to dump the whole jug and make and wash it out with soap and water and make a new one. Right? Now we understand what pure means. Pure is not what's right in the heart, your heart is clean, connected to your actions. Pure is when it's that through and through. If the Kool-Aid had just been Kool-Aid, it would have been fine. But it was Kool-Aid with grease in it, it's not fine. So this purity that he's talking about where this person distinguishes himself is a purity that is unmixed. So your conduct must be good and not at the same time bad. Or good and then not later in the bad, bad in the same situation. Or good and then later when the opportunity arises, still good. You gotta have good conduct and then more good conduct, right? The, the last good conduct is only as good as the current good conduct. I'll give you an example of this. I've seen it a number of times. People help somebody and that person's like, man, I'm grateful that they helped me. And then later, a week, a month, or six months later, or whatever, they hear that person who helped them that they're grateful to that person. They hear that person groaning about having helped them. Man, I, I'm upset I had to do that or I don't want to have to do that or whatever. And the first person who was grateful that they helped them now looks at that completely differently. Because that person who it seemed like they were good and they helped them, it did a good thing, now they're looking at that person going, you know what, that person, what was their reason? Why did they help me? Because now they're not good now. They're bad-mouthing me or talking about me behind my back or, or whatever, right? They're groaning that they had to do this work. And now I can see they were good then, but they're not good now. That does not distinguish you, right? People groan all the time. And that does not make us different in any way. People do good and they do bad. That does not make us good and or distinguished in any way. You want to be distinguished? Your actions have to be pure. That means good now, good later, good next month. Good six months down the road. So what are we talking about? We're talking about faithfulness in our choices, right? And so this boy or lad or servant or female or person who's not in charge, whoever this person is, and that could certainly be a Christian then in the kingdom of God, their conduct must be consistently good, through and through good, right? If you have somebody, you witness to them and they give their life to Jesus Christ, and then they start living for the Lord and things are going pretty good, but you're the one who led them to the Lord, right? And then a month later, they see you walking away from the Lord. You're not living for God. You're not doing what's right. Your mouth is foul or whatever. That's going to be a real stumbling block for them. And so your conduct must be consistently good. That's what that pure means. And then the last thing there is right. It's just got to be the right thing. With Ariana, I always teach her and I always say, God bless you guys, okay? We're praying for you. Also, by the way, Tony, Jason Wellington's uh, test came back negative, so praise God. Yep. All right. So this conduct is pure and right. I tell Ariana this. I say, you know, we, always, we have to do what we know is right to do or the right thing to do before we do what we want to do. Because what we want to do may not be what's right, but what's right is always right. And so this morning, for example, she got up, she came upstairs, she was a little drowsy, it was time, just before 10, time to get ready for church, whatever, and she'd only been up about 15 minutes, and I said, what's up, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a little tired, I just woke up. She sat down in the chair and pulled out her cell phone, was going to watch a video on kids' YouTube. And I said, is that what you should be doing right now? Should you be on your phone right now? 
should you be focused right now and doing what you're supposed to be doing? And she said, well, I was just going to watch a video for a second. I said, what's our rule? We first do what's right to do, then we do what we want to do, assuming there's time, right? And if you can adjust what you want to do to be what's right to do, then you'll always do what's right and you won't have two things to choose from. And that's what God is working on in us as believers. We are trying to come to the moment in time at which what we want, because let's be realistic, sometime in, the, in our lives we're going to do what we want, whether it's right or wrong. You're going to go, well, I think I'll do this. And you can't see why it's wrong, and so you just do it, and then there's a price to be paid. But if you can adjust your desires and your wants to bring them in line with what's right, then you'll always do what's right, and that is the work in progress, if you will. So this is what it said again. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguish himself. And this is how he stands out. The things that he plans to do and does. If his conduct or his doing, the things that he does, is pure, that means consistently good. It's full of the right things. So we see, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, that's good. That was the right thing to do. Yeah, that's good. Right? And it's right. So we could, anyone could judge and say, it's right. Should they judge? We'll talk about that in a minute, but anyone could. Okay? So, that's the whole text for the main part of the sermon today. There's essentially three things in there I want you to see, and we'll use a little bit of scripture to make sure we understand it well. And here we go. The number one thing in there is clear and obvious. Solomon observing a lad, a servant, an underling, a young female, somebody who's not in charge. He says they can do good. It's the bottom line. The bottom line is you can do good. I can do good. We can choose to do good. Now, we know that in biblically speaking, we talked about this last week, that we are free to do good consistently. That's what we've been freed up to do in Christ as he made the sacrifice to pay for sins. Previously, sin was our master. Now, freed from sin being our master, we are able to consistently do good. We have freedom that way. Now, how is that different than what the world has? Well, what the world has is they have freedom to do good too. But they don't have freedom to do good consistently because they're driven by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, evil spirits, temptations, tribulations, cares and riches, whatever comes in in the world that, that begins to take eminence. And it's like, well, this is close to me now. Now I'm in danger, right? Now it's important. Now I need this. So it begins to take a ranking over doing what's right. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with somebody and they said, for example, would you lie if your life was on the line? And it's always been acceptable by humankind to lie when your life is on the line, right? In American government system, the police are allowed to lie to the suspect in any way, shape, or form. They can't represent the, misrepresent the actions of the government. But other than that, they can lie in any way, shape, or form in order to get somebody to confess. So they'll take you in the box, they call it, or the interrogation room, whatever, and they'll say, well, we got Joe over here who says that you did this. We saw, he saw you do this as a witness against you. And if you, if you, uh, confess right now, we'll cut time off your sentence, right? We'll do a plea bargain. We'll only take manslaughter instead of murder or whatever. They don't have a witness. They don't, they don't have, they can lie about having a witness, right? Now, certain things they can't lie about, but the vast majority of things they can say, a police officer can say, I was there and I saw you pull the trigger, even though that's not even true, right? And that person would then confess and they say, well, they confessed. So that's why the first thing anybody does or should do if they think there's any possibility that they're guilty is request a lawyer because a lawyer can stop the lies. They can stop the mistakes that happen because of the lies. A lawyer can help to differentiate. 
The world says it's okay for a police officer, probably one of the highest and most noble professions, to lie to somebody in the pursuit of their duty. The world expects and accepts that lying and a variety of other sins that God says are just inappropriate and should be put away from you once for all are acceptable behavior. And because of that, people are trapped in it. They are not actually able to consistently do good. They can do good. Proverbs, Solomon, observed, they can do good. And if they do good, and if they consistently do good for a period of time, then they will distinguish themselves. It will be recognized. Yeah, man, that, that person is consistently doing good. right? That's why raises and promotions and getting hired or whatever. That person is consistently doing good. I want that person. right? And then down the road, when they fall apart, they get fired or done work or whatever, but it's like, oh, they were so good for a while. right? And then after a while, they'll move back off the path of doing the bad things. They'll get themselves in line or whatever, unless they fall into addiction or some kind of sin that in, kind of enwraps them so much that they can't get away or whatever, and they'll do good for a while, and they'll prosper because they'll be distinguished. But as Christians, we can do good. We have the freedom to do good consistently. But Paul reminds us that as we have this freedom to do good, or I would even say to not do good if you choose, you brothers were called to a freedom. Remember last week we talked about being leading all creation, becoming a leader of all creation in freedom. That cre creation will eventually be free in Christ as it's renewed. And we become leaders. We should be showing off essentially this freedom. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, remember we've got the flesh with us still. We're still riding around in these flesh temples that God lives in, and it's easy for our flesh to go, I want that, I want to look at that, my eye can linger there just a little longer, I'm not in any danger of losing my salvation, God is taking care of that, I'm free to do good, and also free to kind of flirt with evil, and we should not flirt with evil, we should do good consistently, and we're free to do so, we should live in freedom, but not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. And that's what happens sometimes with the church. People are living in freedom. And instead of going back to the Word, instead of going back to what the Bible says, consistently listening to what God says, instead of that, they make up their own rules as they go along. And the rules are not inherently evil. But they're not good either. Remember, it's got to be pure good. It's got to be complete through and through. So it's got to be in line with Scripture. It's got to be godly. It's got to be Jesus' leadership and so on. Paul distinguishes it this way. He says, that, live in freedom, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And then he goes on to say, instead, live as servants of God. That's what we're supposed to do day in and day out. Live consistently godly lives. You don't have to be a world-known evangelist. You don't have to give 90% of all of your income. Unless, of course, you've got a problem and you're addicted to money, then Jesus would probably say give 100% of it until you get that under control. That's what happened with the rich man who came to him and said that he followed all the commandments. And Jesus says, well, give everything you have to the poor and come follow me, and then you'll be free. And the rich man couldn't do it. And maybe if you're having that problem with money, maybe for a while you need to divest yourself of the control of the money so that you can put God completely first in your life. Right? But otherwise, you don't need to do that. You don't need to give all your worldly property to some cult and go live for Jesus in the Yukon or something, right? You don't have to do that. You just have to get out of bed every day and ask yourself, really more importantly, we probably need to ask God, and we'll cover that in a second, 
What is my good behavior today? What is my thing to do for God? On my job, how do I work my job as if I'm doing it for the Lord? In the relationship with the guy who hates me, how do I handle that as if I'm doing it for the Lord? In my relationship with this person I really care about, I'm not sure where our relationship is going, how do I handle that in a way that is good by the Lord's standards? You and I can do good. We could do that before we were ever saved. But now as Christians, we are free to do good consistently. But it goes a little further than that, actually. We're to do good based on these verses only or exclusively. Simply put, I would say it this way. I say, if you want to be distinguished as a servant of God in the kingdom of God, then everything that you do should be pure good. And if you're not sure it's pure good, then you're better off not to do it. You ought to ask yourself, is this pure good? So we talk about temptations, for example, with sin. And so people say, okay, well, the word clearly says this is sin and I should not do it, so I'm not going to do it. Well, the word doesn't clearly say this is sin, but I'm pretty sure I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure that God is telling me I shouldn't do it. Should I not do it? The answer is yes, don't do it. In fact, if there's anything under the sun that you are doubting, questioning whether or not God would want you to do that thing, then don't do that thing. Instead, stick right where you are, where you know God is blessing you. Stay until God says go. Do good only, exclusively. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to cover up evil. But be distinguished in the kingdom of God as a person who is purely doing good and right things. There are benefits from doing good. We see that here. It's clear. There are benefits from doing good. To the end. See, that's the thing. We think there are benefits from any good deed that we do, and there might be, right? Built into the world system, when you do well, you will receive certain ramifications, right? So if you're on the job and you stay that extra 15 minutes and you make sure everything's taken care of and every time somebody else comes in, your shift is all under control. You've got your work orders under control. You've got your all your product turned out. You've, you've done your route. You've taken care of everything. And after you, people always say, man, that guy's got it together. If that's the way it is, then you're going to get benefits for it in this life. And if you're doing that expressly for God, you're going to get benefits for it in this life. Because God rewards the doers of good. You will stand out, be distinguished in the kingdom of God, and, you, and God will be compelled to reward you for those actions. But the real blessing that God's talking about is for those who do it that way to the end. To the end. Um, Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking. Ooh, I flipped right to it. That was awesome. Matthew 24 beginning in 42. He says this, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? 
Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he does not know and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and the gnashing of teeth. It does not matter how good you do, how good you have done in the past. It matters, will you stay to the finish line? Will you be found faithful, serving God and doing good? Be pure, doing until the day that Jesus comes again. You can live a Christian life for decades and lead people to Christ even. And they can lead people to Christ. And so you can have every reason to believe that you were saved, led people to be saved, and they led people to be saved. You have all the evidences that could possibly exist by human mind and thinking that you have been saved. And yet, if you're a hypocrite in your faith, if you don't actually believe in following God, if you're not following God consistently, or if your motives are, are not right, that eventually you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, just like he does with those in Matthew 7 in the parable of the sheep and the goats, he's going to say, get away from me, I never knew you. Our chief and primary responsibility is to be in relationship with the Lord and you cannot do that unless you choose to do good, to do good only and exclusively and to continue to do good until that day in which he comes. But it's even more important than that because it's not doing good by our standards. Whenever someone, the word distinguishes himself has a particular meaning, doesn't it? You hear it? He distinguished himself. He made himself stand out. To whom? To who did he make himself stand out? Right? So if in that room when I was with all my family gathered and they handed me the digital watch, I knew that if I could set that digital watch and, and there were anybody that was in the room that had trouble, which back in that day was everybody, setting a digital watch, I would distinguish myself amongst those who have trouble setting a digital watch. At least. And I thought I would distinguish myself amongst my family, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents were there, my parents. I thought I would distinguish myself amongst that crowd. And those who are trying to distinguish themselves, they're trying to distinguish themselves to someone. Someone is looking and they want to stand out and they want to be noticed by that someone. You go out for a sports tryout, right? Ricky, you ever try out for football? Yeah? Who did you want to distinguish yourself to when you tried out for football? The coaches, right? Why? Because they're the ones who decide whether you're on a team or not. They're going to decide who's going to be cut or not. Everybody understands that you do what you do to be distinguished, and you don't do it to be distinguished so that you can go, oh, I think maybe, right? Or that somebody else maybe, but it's who really matters. So the question is, is it you? Do you get to go, yeah, I'm doing what's right. I'm, do I'm, I'm staying the course to the end. And Paul says no, right? 1 Corinthians 4 we're going through this pretty well. We're doing good here. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, it starts this way. It says, let a, man, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. Right? Now, I want to serve you. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want you to think of me as a servant of you. I want you to think of me as a servant of Christ. When a woman does what her husband wants her to do, even though her husband is a butthead, she should say to him or live in such a way that says to him, look, I'm going to submit to you and do what you want me to do, even though I have questions about it, but I'm going to do it because I am a servant of Christ. Okay? When a man serves his wife and would even give his life and puts down all of his personal pursuits for his wife's love and safety and happiness, when he does that, even though his wife maybe is undeserving or unworthy of it, and that is what nothing less than what we're called to. 
Okay? Men are called to put down all of their pursuits in, for the, for the building up of their wife, right? We die to ourselves as Christ died for the church. That's Ephesians 6. When we do that, we must say and we must make it known that it is because we are a servant of Christ. Yes, we are serving others, but I'm not a servant of you. I am a servant of Christ. Let a man regard in th us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. What is he looking for? He's looking for you amongst other servants who claim to be trustworthy but are not to be found trustworthy. What is he looking for? He's looking for his servants among other human beings that his servants will be found trustworthy, that they would distinguish themselves as trustworthy. But to me it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. That's a stepping up, by the way. In the, in the scripture, that's a parallelism and it's a stepping up. So he's saying, you can examine me, Aaron. Go ahead. I don't care what you think. You can get 10 people together and they can all concur on examining me and I still don't care what they think. That's what he's saying. I do not even examine myself, he says. In fact, I do not even examine myself for I am conscious of nothing against myself. In other words, I've done everything I can to make sure that I am pure and right, that I'm living the way I'm supposed to and that I'll stay the course. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. Even though I am sure there's nothing against me, that does not make me right. So he's saying, not me, not my judgment, not your judgment, but the judgment of the universe. I'm a servant of Christ. I'll go back to the beginning of the verse. It says, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. The God of the universe himself that created all things. He alone can look at creation and decide what amongst creation distinguishes itself. And that better be us. Five. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. That's the praise that we want. And that's how we get there. Be distinguished amongst other Christians. Be distinguished amongst human beings by doing good, by doing good exclusively, by doing good to the end, staying the course, and by realizing that the standard is not ours, it is not yours to judge yourself, it is not for me to judge you, it is for God to judge the standard. God sets the standard of what will be distinguished, and it is goodness consistently, exclusively, to the end. That's what God says. In Matthew 25, beginning in verse 21. Matthew 25, we're coming to the conclusion now. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 21. says this. So this is, just so you know the, the context, if you're not reading along, which is one of the reasons why it's good to read along, but so you know the context, this is in the parable of the uh, talents, basically, where the, some folks got some money, and some other folks got a little less money, and other folks got a little less money, and, and then the, the guy who got the most, he worked really hard and made it more, and the guy who next next most, he worked really hard and made it more, and the guy who got the least, he hid it and didn't do anything with it. And then, uh, beginning in verse 21, um, he goes to the one who he entrusted five talents with who worked really hard and made more and he says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's it. He takes that man who was faithful with a few things. Not five talents of gold that's, or silver, whatever. It's quite a bit. 
But basically he's saying, that which I entrusted you with, you were faithful with. Listen to me. I want to tell you the most profound, simple thing that you need to understand. What you've got, your money, your time, your talent, your relationships, your house that you live in, the property that you have or don't have, your apartment, your stuff in your apartment, your your, your siblings, people who listen to you, people who don't listen to you, those you can influence, your social network followers, all of that, all that you've got, hear me, it's very little. Now, you look at Joel, Joel Olstein, for example, Joel Olstein, and he's put out a bunch of books, he's got a million dollar jet flying all over the country, he's talking to millions of people, whatever, and all that kind of thing, and the gospel that he preaches is maybe not all that godly or whatever, that's for each person to kind of look at that and decide, but the bottom line, you could look at what he's got, and then look at what you've got, and you might go, I ain't got that much. He's got a million followers. You know, he's sold millions of dollars worth of books, whatever. I, he's got a million dollar airplane, he can fly around and go anywhere he wants in the world, anytime he wants, you know. Go, got a, probably got a private island for all I know by now, whatever. You might look and compare to what he's got. That's not what I'm talking about. What you've got is very little. What I've got, very little. Not compared to Joel Olsen, but compared to what God has for us. When you go to heaven, the mansion you have in heaven, if you are the worst Christian, but just stay the course, barely hanging on, barely doing what's right, not very well as distinguished from yourself, when you get there, the mansion you have in heaven is going to blow away your apartment, your house, your property that you currently have. It's going to blow it away. It's going to so blow it away that you're barely going to be able to remember where you live right now. It's going to be like, I hardly remember that because I am so much enjoying where I'm at right now. You might have experienced a situation like that in your own life where you were playing or where you were doing work alongside somebody or having a conversation with somebody and you were, you were talking and thinking about what you were doing so much that the time just got away from you. Surely you've been late somewhere or forgot to do something you were supposed to do because you got so wrapped up in what you were doing, right? Well, that's what heaven's going to be like. Scripture says that this long time, as long as it ever gets, you know how you sit at a red light and you go, man, is the light ever going to change? Right? Or you're waiting for the dryer to get done so you can get your wet clothes out because it didn't quite get dry, and you go, man, is it ever going to be dry? Our lives, if, it was, if you waited at the dryer the whole time until you were 100 years old and your clothes never got dry, you spent your whole life doing that, it will be as the blink of an eye. What we have is negligible. He gave the man five talents of silver. And then he says to the man, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. And then he says, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And if you go down to verse 23, we get the guy who was given two talents in this version. Two talents, 23. And it says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And so we have two guys in this parable. One got five, one got two. And which one got few? Both. Right? Somebody in this room is going, I ain't got much money. I ain't got much resources. My health is maybe not where I would like it to be. My relationships are. I'm not where I plan to be. Listen, you've got few things. We've all got few things. It doesn't matter how much you get or how much you got or whether you die. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. I used to have that bumper sticker when I was 19. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. Everybody has few things. Everybody. And if you hold on to your few things and you do nothing with your few things, that's all you're ever going to have or actually less. 
Because there was a guy who got one talent. And instead of investing it, instead of working hard, he judged that the master was a hard man reaping where he hadn't scattered seed. He says, and I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground, see? I kept it for you, but I didn't do anything else with it. See, you have what is yours. And his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him. See, he had, he had few things. He had one talent. He had few things. Even less than the other guys. And then, so take it away from him and give it to the one who now has ten talents. So he took away from the guy the little bit that he had and gave it to the guy who had a whole bunch. And he says, for, to everyone who has shall be given more. For, every, for everyone who has shall be given more. And he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And listen, verse 30, and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You get it? He was given a few things. And instead of doing everything he could, doing good, doing good exclusively, doing good to the end, doing good by God's standard, instead of doing that, distinguishing himself as a servant of God, he kept it for God. And in our context, that would mean you just use it to run your life. Say, well, you know, everybody's got bills. I've got to pay my bills. I've got to take care of my stuff. I've got to do this because it's what everybody's got to do. There ain't, there ain't nothing. Nothing. You don't have to have a house. You don't have to have a car. You say, well, I've got to have a car. I can't get to work. You don't have to have a job. There are literally people living who don't have... Now, I'm not saying you should do that, but you don't have to is the point. And if you're going to, then you darn well better do it in a way that honors God from beginning to end. Or otherwise, when you're at the end with how many ever toys and money, whatever kind of place, whatever family, whatever relationships, whatever kudos and somebody praised you, whatever people going, yeah, 17 people saying, yeah, he's the one who led me to Christ, whatever, you're going to arrive at the end and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And he's going to look at whether you were good and he's going to look at whether you were only good and he's going to look at whether you were good to the end. And if the answer is no, you're not going to be distinguished amongst his servants. You may still be somewhat distinguished amongst the world because the world is going to be even more inconsistently good than you are. And if you're saved through Jesus Christ, you'll still make it in. But if you're saved through Jesus Christ and he's your Lord, why is not he your standard in how you should live every moment of every day? And the answer is, he is. Oh, we're looking for that praise from God. I want that praise from God. I want that build me up. I have dreamed so many times, I can't even count them on all my fingers and all my toes, about that warming embrace of Jesus where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. How often would we hear that phrase in the Christian circles? I want to go to Jesus and I want to have him embrace me and say, well, I'll be weak in the knees. I'll barely be able to stand up, I imagine. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is how. Do good by his standards consistently, ongoing, until the end. If you're in your 50s or 60s, you're probably close, odds are you're closer to the end 
than the others. That's why I always tell a, a child when they accept Christ, they're eight, nine years old. I say, you do realize you could live like another 90 or 100 years and you have to every day, all day, consistently choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you sure you want? I try to talk them out of it. You, say, you can't talk them out of being saved. Don't do that. Yes, I can. Because if I can talk them out of it, they're not really getting saved. And if I can talk them into it, they're not really getting saved. The cares of the rich, uh, and the riches of this world are a very real thing. And even as we, if we go around this room and say, okay, what's the balance of your checking account right now? What's the, you know, how much gas you got in your tank? When's the last time you ate out? How many times you eat out in the last month? We probably all have different answers. The life is unique to every single person. What is not unique is what God is looking for. In Christ, in freedom in Christ, saved by the Lord Jesus, God is now expecting you to do good. To do good consistently and only exclusively and to do it to the end until he comes again. As long as that is, it may be today, it may be a year. Some of us may live 50 years, some of us may live 100 years yet. And modern science has its way. Even the oldest of us will live 100 years yet. You better fill it with doing good and doing good by God's standards. So you're going to have to read your Bible. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to meditate. You're going to have to pray. And as we talked about last week, you're going to have to learn, if you haven't already, how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit in you. God help us. God help us do good. <clears throat> God help us do good exclusively. Hear me now. Nine times out of ten, that which you enjoy the most, the thing you really think you're getting a lot out of, <coughs> pardon me, that probably ain't it. The leaving things that God would have you to do undone so that you can do the things that you think are right. Sure, I hope you're not an evil, wicked person. You probably wouldn't even be here, right? You do the things that you think are right but they're not the things that God would have you to do. They're like, but I need the momentum. I need to be about the things of my life and I need to overcome my problems and I need to, I need to, I need to. Maybe you do. Maybe that's God's way of working in your life. But there's also community. There's also brothers and sisters in Christ. There's also the poor. There's also the lost. And we've been giving the ministry of recon reconciliation. You know, biblically, you, your vocation may be working at a food pantry, being a, a maintenance supervisor, working at a fastener factory or at Norplast. Your, your vocation, your job, may be one of those things. But biblically, you've been given just one job. And that's to represent God wherever you are and perform, essentially, the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to Him. And if you're not bringing people to him by your willful choice, then you need to understand somewhere in there, there is a distinct lack of good. And if there is a lack of good, then the mixture that is you is not pure. And if it's not pure, you're not going to distinguish yourself as a follower of God amongst other followers and possibly not amongst the world. And if that's, if that's the case, if you're not going to distinguish yourself that way to God, then you're going to miss out where God says, so let your light shine before men so that they may glorify your Father 
in the day of his appearing. Understand, they, they can't judge you. They don't know. You don't live so that they will think good of you. But clearly, we are meant to be good in the world so that people can see. And it will cause a bit of friction in them because they'll start to think, well, man, he or she is good consistently. They've always got the right answer. They always behave in a godly way. Now, I understand 2 Timothy 3 talks about how as we get near to the end of time, good and evil are going to be swapped. The world thinks you're evil because you're being good. But that doesn't matter either because, again, we're not judged by them. We're judged by one who is God and we follow his standards. If you can't do it now, well, they're pretty well laying off of us. Just wait until your choices are follow Jesus and risk dying or be quiet about your following Jesus and be safe. Because that very well could come in our lifetime. We must be good. Now, and if that time comes, then, and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we will be distinguished by God. And then we will have that praise that comes from our Father, well done, good and faithful servant. And until we do that, we will not have it. You can want it. You can think you have it. But you can't have it unless you are distinguished in God's eyes by doing good, by doing good exclusively, by doing good unto the end. In Christ, you must be saved. I'm not talking about doing good in place of salvation. But in Christ, doing good. Hey, this is Pastor Dan. Thanks for listening to this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. I hope you were encouraged and I hope you're ready to go out and do some good right where you are. That being said, I want to just kind of let you know about a couple things that are going on. The day that this podcast posts, which is July 16th, the next day, July 17th, we're doing a block party at the Life Station right across the street from there. And so we'd love to have you come join us for that if you're listening to the podcast today. Also, uh, pray for an ongoing outreach by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church as we're trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, you can check our website at church. Toledo.com or LifestationToledo.com, either one. And those websites would have the information on there about the ministry. They would not only have information on there about how we can serve you and how you can serve others, but on top of that, there's ability to give on there. You can give via your uh, credit or debit card uh, through PayPal, or you can text GIVE to 419-419-0095 and give to the general offering of the church. You can text LSGIVE, that's L S. G-I-V-E to 419-419-0095 and give specifically to the Life Station. We are trying to gather together to overcome evil through the Life Station and other ministries of the church and also we are working together to reach new heights in Jesus. Each person has a next step to go to. The steps are not the same, the places are not the same, but we can work together in unity to reach the next step. ask you to pray for those who are still recovering from illness ask you to pray for the church that we be strong and bold and united as we serve God daily. And God bless you today. Perhaps you'll come and join us in worship at some point if this is appealing to you, 1130 on Sundays. Uh, we do Bible study on Tuesday nights, and that information is online as well. So God bless you. Thanks for choosing New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo podcast.